listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. Welcome, this is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on another episode of the Rainmaking Podcast. Two favors I wanted to ask from you. One of them is, if you know of any speakers or authors that you've been impressed with, even if their ideas are a little bit outside of the box, I'd like to talk to them and get them on the show if I think it can help all of the listeners here. The goal is for me to help you get content that's going to help you sell more of your services, whatever that is. If it's recruiting services, accounting services, legal services, even if you're involved in B2B sales, that's what I want to do here is help you get some content that'll help you grow. So if you have any recommendations, email them to me. My email is scott, S-E-O-T-T, at attorneysearchgroup.com. And then secondly, if you're getting value from this show, take a minute and write a review hopefully a five-star review and put something in the comments there that you think would uh, help people get interested in this podcast. Now, let me get to the show today. This is really interesting. We're kind of going pretty deep in the area of psychology of buying because we're interviewing Felix Kao, who is a neuromarketing expert and founder of Happy Buying Brain. Felix helps companies and other organizations apply brain activity measurement strategies to measure buyers' response to specific offerings. This way, organizations can save a lot of money by stop marketing to the wrong part of their customer's brain and start implementing strategies that speak to their primal brain. Felix combines his 15 years of marketing experience with his educational background in biological science and psychology to help organizations truly understand what makes their customers' brains tick when it comes to better buying decisions. I hope you get some great ideas out of my interview with Felix today. Thanks again for listening. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. Today, our guest is Felix Kao, and we're going to talk about practical advice on how any professional services firm or organization can grow through the emerging field of neuromarketing. Felix, thanks for joining me on the show today. Hi, Scott. Thank you for having me on the show. I definitely appreciate it. You bet. Now, this is an interesting topic, and I'm really excited about learning more about this, but kind of give us an overview. Who are you? Where did you come from, and what do you do today? What's kind of the path that you took? Yeah, so uh, so right now at this current moment, I'm the founder of the neuromarketing company called Happy Buying Brain, but um, really the genesis of the company, uh, and particularly getting involved in neuromarketing, really um, dates back to um, you know my post-secondary education. So really, if we were to backtrack about uh, you know 20 years ago, I had a strong interest in terms of the sciences, uh, more specifically geared towards an inspir- or aspiration to enter the field of optometry. So, you know, growing up, I was heavily uh, involved in, you know, biological sciences and also uh, it happened to merge with the psychology as well. And then um, blending that together with, um, you know, this uh, a long history of business and then combining it with what's happened today, it just seems like a perfect marriage of, um, you know, the in terms of the educational background, plus um, you know the fifteen years plus of being in business, and then combining with this new era of uh, digital, like everything, all of businesses are moving online, and also the neurosciences helps explain you know how companies could connect with their audiences on a much more like primal and subconscious level. So that's what takes us wow. to today with uh, the neuromarketing you know pursuit. Well, I can't wait to learn about this. So, so let's start with some definitions. What exactly is neuromarketing? What is that? Yeah, absolutely. So neuromarketing is really the 
combination of applying the neurosciences to sales and marketing strategies to help uh, companies solve their business challenges more effectively. So just a way to put that into a, a visualization in terms of the concept is, so imagine the brain, the brain has really two parts, right? So everybody's familiar with the logical part of the brain, which is the cortex, but there's a lesser part uh, that's actually sits at the very base of the brain called the primal brain. And that's actually where a lot of the decision-making uh, happens and it operates below the level of consciousness. So a lot of people are not even aware that they're making these types of decisions simply because it's happening on a subconscious level. But wow. um, it's so powerful in terms of our, um, its impact on our decision-making that it influences up to 95% of our everyday you know, decisions that we make on a, on a daily basis. Is this manipulating people? Is it getting an unfair advantage? What, what do you think about that? Well, when you really look at neuromarketing, is this a tool, right? So when, like any tool, it could be used for you know, reinforcing good or it could be used for something that's the opposite. So here in this case, you know, it's always with the intention of helping people you know, better their lives or helping to become the best version of themselves and solving pain points much more effectively. Right. So with those types of insights, then you know, it's when it's the company's mission to actually you know, help uh, their, let's say their consumer, for example, or the clients that they work with become you know, much more better version of themselves, then that's when I think neuromarketing could become very empowering for both the companies because now they're able to understand and provide a service or a product that's much more effective to solving the problems and uh, you know, the, the anxieties and anything that may be you know, troubling or, or causing their, their um, audience you know, that, that they would have difficulty sleeping and, and providing that solution to them. Right. So kind of let's roll up our sleeves and get into the tactical components of neuromarketing. Mm -hmm. What is it? Is it mind reading? <laughs> how, how would I be able to use that to grow a law firm or a professional services firm or just get more clients? What are some tactical ways I can use neuromarketing to Absolutely. grow my, so my book of business? Perfect. That's a great question, Scott. So unfortunately, it's not mind reading. I think if anyone was able to mind read, they would be able to you know, have all the answers beforehand, right? And <laughs> that would definitely make life a, a lot easier. But, you know, neuromarketing is once again, it complements uh, a lot of the marketing and, and theory that already exists, but it's able just to do it on a much deeper level. For example, traditional marketing, you know, more deals with the what, whereas the neuromarketing uh, explains things in terms of the why and the how. So that's the difference between the two. But um, when it comes to understanding the primal brain, which is, uh, you know, where neuromarketing is really focused on. There's uh, you know, certain, um, what I call it, I call it the seven primal brain-friendly messaging components. So these are kind of like the triggers that uh, the primal brain really responds really well to. So uh, you know, anything that's kind of novel or visual, anything that makes it feel safe, something that's fast, something that understands that's simple. It also wants things in a concrete way. It doesn't really understand abstract concepts well. And also um, you know, the message uh, being delivered from a high-status position. And the reason why is because the primal brain, it has two primary main functions. And the first one is it's to ensure the survival of the individual and to enhance the reproductive success of the individual. So that's really guided by six primitive instincts, which is you know, survival, reproduction, safety, security, sustenance, and status. So you kind of have, you know, the primal brain has these, uh, it's guided by these six primitive instincts. And then the first, the seven uh, primal brain uh, friendly messaging components, like the key to really unlock the primal brain. And that's so important because the way that the message gets uh, processed in the brain is usually from a bottom up processing model, 
Mm-hmm. So usually most people think that's actually people process things on a logical level, but the logical part of the brain is actually the last part of the brain to receive information. And one example of that is you see it common between, uh, let's say, a significant other. And if they're having some sort of uh, discussion argument where they're on different pages, even though the points may be valid, um, you know, the other person, they just seem to shut off right? their brains, even though rationally their discussion would totally make sense in terms of you know, solving the problem. But um, right. that's not where the key to unlocking the communication lies. It's, it's dealing with how the, prom- the primal brain processes the, the messaging. Well, that's interesting. And can we go over some of those points, those different primal messaging? And how did you define that again? Sure. So the primal brain is um, really guided by six primitive instincts. So I'll okay, just, six, uh, six primitive instincts, you said. Right. right. Okay, exactly. Right. So those six primitive instincts are survival, okay. uh, reproduction, right. safety, security, sustenance, and status. So that's what it looks towards to guide and to enhance its chances of uh, surviving and then uh, having the opportunity to obviously pass on your, you know, someone's genes to the, to the next generation, right? right? So, so, so it was survival. Uh, reproductive, safety, security, sustenance, and status. That's correct. Got it. Okay, great. Perfect. So that's what the kind of like the lock in terms of the primal brain. So it's looking for its key. So let's say an an attorney or for um, people that are working in the B2B or even B2C, you know, the key is to craft your messaging so that it speaks to that primal part of their audience's brain. And the primal brain responds generally to, um, you know, messaging that's novel. Because once again, uh, the reason why it wants to do that is because on a survival basis, it needs to identify whether that new stimulus is friendly or a foe. And if it's friendly, let's say a new food source, for example, right. then it obviously would enhance the chances of survival, right? right. Uh, whereas if we're walking down the street and we see, a, uh, let's say, a wild animal like a lion, that would indicate that uh, obviously that would be uh, quite a danger to our, um, our survival. So that's why it's very important. It needs to be able to have ability to filter you know, stimuli in terms of a threat versus a non-threat situation. So this is taking us back to the days of the saber-toothed tiger, right? That is absolutely, you hit it uh, right on, Scott. So, you know, a lot of this is based on evolutionary biology. So, um, yeah, going back to our ancestral days, that's where a lot of this is still, we're still governed by the same guidance system. Is this much more elaborate now? And, you know, the stimulus are different now. We're not running around in the, the desert looking for food. Now is this different ways where, you know, the stimuli manifests itself that, we would um, look to utilize in order to, you know, ensure our survival and reproductive success in today's modern time. Right. So you mentioned the primal brain; it responds to messaging that's novel, and then some other things you mentioned earlier. What are some other ways exactly. that the primal brain will respond? Perfect. So the second is so the first one was novel. The second uh, seven primal brain friendly messaging component is visual. You know that's why let's say that a message contains a lot of words, for example. Usually words are processed by the more logical part of the brain. So it's, uh, words are really abstract to the brain. So um, that's why the, the primal brain tends to shut off because it doesn't really understand you know, words that well. So that's why you know, somebody's able to show like, a concept that, uh, where a picture could explain it. And that's where the saying probably comes from, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. Right. So that's uh, you know, on a visual basis, the primal brain responds exceptionally well to anything that's visual. Uh, thirdly is... You know, any stimuli is that it's safe. So obviously, you know, that's 
it proves that um, the new stimuli is friendly, fast. So one of the things is the primal brain. It's really a cognitive miser. So really, the brain in general is this lazy because it's really designed for three main purposes. And that's for you know anything to process information that's fast. It wants to be energy efficient. And the third role, it's, it's threat detection. So that's why it wants information in a really fast way so it could understand what's going on in the situation. So and, threat detection and energy efficiency, you said? Yeah, exactly. I like how you described it as a cognitive miser. And, yeah, and that's kind of elaborate that. What do you mean by that exactly? Sure. So the the brain, the main role of the brain is really to conserve energy. So the misconception is, um, you know, we, we have this logical part of the brain and we always want to be in this rational state thinking about all the pros and cons and everything. But through, um, once again, if we date back to, um, we go back to you know, our ancestral days, if they use, because the cortex or the, lo- the logical part of the brain, it consumes such a huge amount of energy that if it had to process everything, it would totally shut down. Right. So what it does is the reason why then in order to become energy efficient, is that's why it wants things that are, you know, information that's like fast and simple, right? And that's how it's able to make sense of the world. And we're just a proximity of, of that um, now, just in the future version of how our ancestors were operating, um, you know, back in the day when they're running around in the desert. So novel, visual, friendly, fast. What were some of the other ways the brain responds to messaging? Sure. And also concrete as well. So, you know, if we could uh, explain things in a concrete and crystallized version. So that's why I mentioned when you asked, like, how can, you know, entrepreneurs and businesses utilize neuromarketing? It's a lot to do with understanding the brain. So a lot of people, they have a visual of how the brain works, right? So if you're able to take the concept of neuromarketing and understand that neuromarketing is really crafting marketing messages so that it speaks to the primary part of the brain, then that's how you're able to crystallize the idea of how neuromarketing can be used on a practical sense. Right. This is interesting. Oh, keep going. What else, what else, Felix? And, and the last one is from a high status position. Right. So the reason why is because there's um, in the primal brain, is really the midbrain, but let's say it's part of the primal brain. So the primal brain also assesses information based on um, the status of, let's say, the individual. So it'd be almost like, the reason why it does that, because usually, um, you know, leaders, for example, have, if you follow, let's say, leader or information from a leader, their credibility and their knowledge would ultimately, or in most cases, increases your chances of success. So right. that's why the primal brain also uh, assesses, you know, information b- based on its validity on the status of the individual that's delivering the message. You know, what you've described, I actually read a book called Pitch Anything by Oren Klaff. Are you familiar with that by any chance, Felix? Yeah, absolutely. Oren Klaff, yeah, I think uh, some of his stuff is wonderful as well. Yeah, and, and I remember that was where I first learned some of the concepts that you're talking about. He calls mm-hmm. it the croc brain that tries to sense danger. And that's what I tried to do in intentionally changing my messaging to letting my prospects know that you can be safe. Exactly. And give you security. Exactly. And I'm concrete, you know, and then throwing in a little bit of the high status there. So I've been able to see, I've been able to see a marked improvement in how people respond to me when I try to wave a shiny object in front of them, something that's novel gets their attention, right. still lets them know that I'm safe. What are some tactical applications that you think those in the business of selling professional services can use to integrate some of your ideas and kind of put them into play? Well, I think a lot of people, they focus on a lot on, let's say, the features and benefits of what they offer. And that that is usually a great way, is usually step uh, a further step down the road, actually, because here's an example. 
So this is actually, you know, where, where there's really no biases at all. So you have a, let's say that you have a child and the child is about two years old. Um, right. You know, you, you give the child ice cream. So let's say that's mom would, uh, has an ice cream in her hand and then gives it to her, her, um, her daughter, for example, right? So her daughter automatically accepts it. And then, but if let's say that the mother decides to, has a friend over, but um, you know, the, her daughter has never ever seen her friend before. And then her mom goes, passes over the ice cream over to her friend and then uh, you know, asks her friend to give the ice cream to her daughter. So usually what ends up happening in that interaction where the friend is actually wanting to pass over the ice cream to her daughter, a lot of kids, they already have that innate uh, built-in feeling where if they don't know somebody, it's kind of like the stranger danger type of feeling and they not, might not be receptive of um, that ice cream. So if you really look at that situation, the ice cream had not changed, which is very similar to someone's product and the way that they describe their their services and their products to the audience. The only thing that had changed was either it was the mother delivering it or the friend, right? So now, as you mentioned, it's, um, you know, how do you make them feel safe? Because obviously the, the child accepts the, the ice cream because she felt safe because her, she knows her mom. And a lot of times, and she didn't feel safe because she doesn't know that, uh, you know, the friend. So th- that's the difference between understanding, like, how do you build a relationship with, um, you know, your, your clients moving forward, or your consumers moving forward? Is that how do you build, like what you mentioned, when you make changes to your messaging, how do you make them feel safe? And then after that, they're more willing to accept your, let's say, the features and benefits of your, your offer, for example. Right. That's probably why referrals are so powerful because people feel safe. We have a shared connection. The walls come down. I trust you automatically just because you mentioned the name of someone that I already trust. Exactly. It's it's that mutual respect, right? So it's lending that credibility over that um, through association, then um, it does have that sense of respect and, and it makes the other person feel safe when they're working with the referral. So let me kind of go back to some of the six primitive and what did you call them? The six primitive what? Instincts. Instincts. Okay. So what's, you mentioned survival, reproductive, safety, security, sustenance, and status. What's the difference between safety and security? Sure. So safety is, uh, well, they, they kind of come hand in hand when you look at it, but security is, when you look at it, it's more being able to secure, uh, let's say resources, for example, like that would be kind of like what security would, would mean. Usually safety has to deal with you know, kind of in today's world, it would be more the really basic type of needs as well. So there is some quite overlap over it, but mm-hmm. there's some distinctions in terms of what it really applies to as well. So I would say safety is has to deal with like a lot more basic physiological needs, whereas security could deal with, you know, much more elaborate different types of elements that um, would lend to someone's, you know, feeling safe or feeling right. secure at the same time. There's a lot of overlap between the two, but they're considered part of the, the six primitive instincts that the primal brain is guided by. Got it. That's interesting. Survival, reproductive, safety, security, sustenance, and status. Right. And then it was the, the primal brain responds to messaging that is novel, visual, friendly, fast, concrete, and high status. Is that correct? Right. Did you have simple in there as well? Oh, I didn't. Okay, simple. Okay, yeah, simple is is important as well. So you know, anything that's kind of complex, and that's why messaging that when you know it's explained in with like ten different paragraphs, when it could be just um, condensed into like let's say one paragraph or even a, an image, that usually is a much a stronger way to get uh, get a message across. 
Interesting. So tell me, what are some case studies that you've seen organizations, and you don't have to mention them by name, but how have you seen organizations implement some of these ideas and seen an increase in their uh, business development efforts? Sounds good. So what I've seen is, so we'll just explore uh, by industry, right? So industry is usually the strongest way. So if you're to look at, for example, luxury brands, so how does a luxury brand enable somebody to fulfill their primitive instincts to be the best version of themselves. So if you were to look at the six primitive instincts, and let's say that you have a sports company, for example, it'd be obviously uh, a sense of belonging. And the number one is elite status, right? So that's what they're really appealing to. Because when someone has status, then usually they have access to usually more resources, more opportunity. And also, let's say, their, their ability to... Uh, meet people uh, usually increases on an exponential scale, right? So that's an example of um, you know how a, a specific industry would cater their brand messaging to tap into one or more of the six primitive instincts. Another one are athletic brands, for example, and they're really and this is something that is uh, very similar to let's say people working in the legal field or attorneys, because in for example in sports then the, usually the main goal is to win and to be victorious. So they want to now start associating, for example, a great example is what's like how come there's a big market uh, difference or market value difference between, let's say, the, a generic jersey for a sports team versus one where it prints the name of, let's say, a very popular you know, sports figure. Really, if you were to think about the, the rationale behind that, it would cost maybe like another couple of extra bucks, right? right. Like dollars in order to print some, uh, you know, a celebrity's name in the back. But people are willing to pay, you know, two or three times what a generic jersey is. So, you know, the, the brain gravitates or wants to associate itself to the success and, uh, of the individual. And that's why, you know, the, the market value of the jersey, for example, or the uniform that bears the the popular um, athlete's name is can be marketed and sold at a much higher value. So, you know, in terms of now you have athletic brands, they understand that and they, they want, they know that people want to associate themselves with winners, um, you know, and success as well. And they, and they know that when people wear that jersey with somebody's, with their favorite uh, player's name in the back, you know, some of that uh, confidence and uh, lifestyle rubs off on them. So That's a right. lot of people believe that, the, you know, mm-hmm. when they go on the field, for example, and they wear that jersey of their po- most popular player, then they start to perform better too. And that could obviously be, you know, a huge confident booster in most people, in some people's performance. Well, that's interesting, Felix. So tell me then, what would be three action steps people could take to kind of get started in learning and applying some of the ideas that you shared with us today? Yeah, I think, well, the number one thing is this understanding that neuromarketing exists. I think it's over, it's really just come to the forefront. It's been around for about 20 years, but hasn't been really moved to mainstream yet, but it's it's coming there. And that's what uh, I'm here to do in terms of understanding more of the principles and how to apply it. I would suggest, you know, joining communities as one way. Second way is, um, you know, reading up on neuromarketing books is uh, the second way. And also, um, you know, there's courses out there that would uh, provide an introduction to neuromarketing as well. So that'd be my three ways uh, in terms of how to get involved and learn more about neuromarketing. Well, that's great, Felix. And we will put all of your contact information I'm on your website, happybuyingbrain.com. I think you've got some great ideas. And I really like the, like the way you've simplified this and can articulate it in a simple way. 
that helps people get results. Tell us about what are the services that you have that you offer that you'd like for people listening to know about. Sounds good. Yeah. So we could really divide into two you know, categories. The first one is a done for you. So done for you services, and it deals with more of the marketing side. So if you're looking for someone who's more hands-on to deal with the digital marketing, to craft, let's say, a digital a marketing plan for the client, then you know that's something that we we uh, help our clients with. Um, and the second side is a done with you, which it's more uh, involves consulting. So anybody that um, wants to do their own marketing, but needs guidance and recommendations in terms of how to tweak their marketing campaigns so that it speaks to the problem part of their consumers, then that's where we really excel at. So in terms of the, we really look at things in terms of the, how the company's positioned in terms of its, uh, their core uh, messaging. Great. Well, Felix, thanks for being on the show today. I'm sure we'll have you back on here again and we'll put all of your links on our on the show notes so that anybody listening, they can go there and reach out to you directly. And thanks again so much for being here on the show today. Thank you for having me, Scott. I definitely appreciate it. It was great. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com. 